Welcome back to Superhero Cinema, the weekly show about superheroes on TV, in the movies, and in comic books. I'm Michael. I'm Jefferson. And I'm Jonathan. And this is issue number three for the fourth week in March, 2007. Here are some notes from last week from our discussion, uh, things that I looked up after the fact, just kind of correcting ourselves and making sure that we stay on track. Uh, Lois Lane joined Smallville two years ago, not last season. Uh, the producer slash writer slash director on the Hellboy animated films is Tad Stones. And uh, Jefferson was right. Frank Miller did, in fact, write Robocop 2 and 3, but did not direct either of them, which is what I thought that he had directed one, and I was wrong. Jefferson was also right that Frank Miller has a big ego and his lead characters are all jerks. Right, yeah, that's established fact there, right? <laughs> Bring on the Frank Miller letters. Right, right. Here they I'm sure there's tons of Frank Miller support letters out there, right? And one thing that Jefferson was wrong about is he suggested that uh, Frank Miller had no other original characters that he could create movies of that he could be directing himself. Um, he does still have the book Ronin, which was created for DC. I had forgotten about that, published in, I believe, 1985. And a pretty good story, actually. One of Miller's better works, I think. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Right, it was a six-issue series. They were oversized issues. I think each one was 48 pages. Right, I got. I, I believe I read through issue five and never actually got issue six, so at some point I should get the graphic novel of that and finish that. DC does still have it in print. Okay, good. Now let's get on to the new stuff for the week. Let's talk some news. You can always get additional info and links to these stories on our website, SuperheroCinema.com. The front page of the site will always keep you updated on the latest info about superhero movies and TV shows from around the web. Our first story for this week, I wanted to start off with the newest story. Uh, this is that uh, Columbia has optioned the Green Hornet. Uh, Columbia, also known as Sony Studios, has uh, optioned the Green Hornet. Uh, this is a character that goes all the way back to radio in the 40s. Uh, he's been a comic book. In the 1960s, it was a spin-off series from the Adam Westbert Ward Batman. Uh, it starred, uh, actually, Bruce Lee. It was, it was his introduction to American audiences as the sidekick Kato in there. Property's been worked on for quite a long time. It actually almost happened a couple of years ago with Miramax. Uh, Miramax had the property, and uh, they really wanted to do it with Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith worked on a script for it. He was going to direct it as well. He worked on it for, I believe, two years, uh, mostly while he was working on comics projects. And when it finally got down to it, his decision was that he still didn't feel like he was able to make a big-budget sci-fi special effects action film. Every time he's had an opportunity to do this, he keeps backing off from it. Every, every time he's had an opportunity to kind of go beyond people talking in a film, he ends up backing away and saying, you know, that's really what I'm good at. And, and he basically got to that point with Green Hornet where he said, you know, I, I wrote the script. You know, you guys can still work with the script. I'll still keep writing the script, but someone else should direct it. And Miramax basically at that point kind of moved on from the project they really didn't have anyone else in mind for it kevin smith had been the person they were going to make it with when that didn't happen they really didn't move any further and the property lapsed and it went back to the original owners and now they've sold it to columbia to be able to work on it yeah it could be interesting i mean the green hornet was kind of a stock superhero character you know i don't think there's there's nothing that's not cosmetic that particularly stands out about him that I can recall. Other than Bruce Lee and the TV series was a lot of fun. That's the, the main memory that I have of the Green Hornet is, is Bruce Lee playing his sidekick on TV. One of the things that I really actually liked about it is something that they probably would never be able to get into a movie is that the, the character of the Green Hornet who his real identity is magazine publisher or newspaper publisher, Britt Reed. They use that name and they actually ended up tying the character to the Lone Ranger. Uh, the Lone Ranger, whose real name had been John Reed. This was supposed to have been the descendant of his brother. 
the Texas Ranger who had been in the party that got killed with the Lone Ranger. Now we're getting real geek deep. <laughs> uh, his, his brother had, had been part of the group that got killed that caused him to become the Lone Ranger. And that brother had already had a son before he got killed. And Britt Reed, the Green Hornet, was supposed to be several generations, like 60 years after the Old West, a uh, man who had been inspired by his ancestor, the Lone Ranger, to become the Green Hornet. Because of rights, there's, there's almost no chance of that ever making it into any film version. That was just going to be my question. That's kind of too bad. That would be Son of Lone Ranger would make it make for an interesting twist to the character. Right. I mean, that's I've always been fascinated by generational characters. Um, to me, the most famous or best example of the, being the Phantom, that that the Phantom mantle gets gets passed on from from parent to child over the generations. I believe they got through like at least twenty one generations of Phantoms in in the fiction so far. And so that that kind of concept of, of, of the mantle of superhero being passed on like that has always been fascinating to me. Yeah, it's pretty cool because usually it's just one person and they've got their origin story and it's that secret identity is that person. And they never really acknowledge the patches, passage of time. You know, uh, a superhero's life is always around seven years and then they just sort of reset. You know, Superman lived in the 1940s when the comic book was being published in the 1940s and, and he lived in the 1980s when the comic book was being published in the 80s and so on. They don't really acknowledge that time is passing. They just kind of brush that under the rug and, and the, the characters are always living in the present day. They never acknowledge that. So yeah, you're right, Michael. It is interesting to see a, a concept that does acknowledge that time passes and it can't be the same guy all this time so do you think that the green Hornet will be set in modern day instead of back in the 60s i mean that kind of go against that if it was set in the 60s yeah i have no idea i mean that's their it's, in terms of the stages of a production it, it's they just at this point all they have is is they have the ability to make a film based on the character there's absolutely no indication on what direction they're going to go I know, Jefferson, you actually wanted to talk about a couple other properties that just got optioned as well. Yeah, two other properties that just got optioned is read about, which both of them I'm kind of excited about, actually, because the, the books, the comic books that they're based on in both cases are excellent and very cinematic. One of them is Wide Out by Greg Rucka, uh, which is a great sort of mystery slash spy story that takes place at an Antarctic base. Kind of an interesting sort of the thing, alien-style setting for a story. There's nothing science fiction about the story, really. It's a pretty straightforward story, but it's... The comic book was done in a really cinematic way. I think it'll make a, a if they are even remotely faithful to the the book. I think it'll make an excellent film. And the surrogates is the other one, and that one I'm really excited about because that's a, it was a fairly obscure comic. It was published as a graphic novel uh, last year, I believe. Um, I don't recall the publisher off the top of my head, but I believe it was uh, might have been Top Shelf. Anyway, it's a science fiction story, and the premise of the book is that in the future, people uh, it sort of takes the idea of, of people playing online uh, role-playing games to the next level. People actually control Android bodies from their computers. So in the setting of the story, people spend all their time at home in front of their computers, and they have these sort of Android versions of themselves that go out into the world and go to work and, and go to nightclubs and all that stuff. And so they have these idealized versions of themselves out in the world while they're sitting at home in their pajamas in front of their computer controlling these robots. And then the story is about a murder mystery that takes place against this this backdrop, but also a, a great, great idea that should make a pretty good movie. And in both cases, they kind of show how uh, comic books make really good blueprints for films. You know, they really, they, they really kind of show you why it is that, that Hollywood seems so attracted to, to going to comics for ideas for films because they make such excellent blueprints or a good way to test the waters cheaply for a, a film idea do you know who optioned them um i'm not sure um i just read uh, i just read really briefly on i believe it was cbr that they had both been optioned i think the two projects are separate i don't think it's the same studio optioning both of them 
And I know it's just at the option stage right now, but I have high hopes for both of these. I think they'll make excellent movies if they can get, get through to the through all the various production stages. And just to use that as an opportunity, that in the first story to talk about options, what, what an option is, is it means that when you have something, either it's a book or it's a movie or it's a character, something that someone's created that someone else wants to use that property in, in a medium, they purchase an option. This is the same way it works with novels when, when you do a book based on Tom Clancy book or any, you know, any Thomas Harris or anything like that. Someone pays for an option to produce a movie or a TV show based on that. And what that basically means is they have the, the ability during a specified period of time to get a production going. If during that period of time, that period of time can be months, that period of time can be years. If they, if they don't get it going at that point, whatever amount of money that they've paid for that option is done, check has been cashed, the option reverts back to the original property owner, and they can then sell it to someone else if they want. So it's basically right. just a chance to try to make something of it. Right, exactly. You're, you're paying for the ability to, to do something with that character for the time you've, you've paid for the option. If you don't get it done in time, sorry. You, you, you could try paying again. You could pay in a whole other separate fee to, to get another extension period of time. That almost never happens. Yeah, usually moves on to a different studio if it's still going to get done at all. Correct. Yeah, some other producer usually buys the rights at that point. And a lot of producers just go around buying rights. I mean, people people buy up rights to books. Uh, studios and, and other larger companies will, will have a whole catalog of, of projects that, that they have the possibility of making but never do. Um, sometimes they'll sit on them for years, and sometimes the rights go back, and then they get sold again. So a lot of things end up that way. So it's, it's kind of a, a show of faith if something gets optioned? Yeah, it means that someone had enough interest in it thinking that, that they could make something out of it, that it's a good enough property to, to try to make a movie out of. Or a lot, a lot of times it'll happen where just someone reads a book, a producer or a studio head will, will read a book and think, that, hey, this is a really good book. Let's, let's buy the option for it. We may never make a movie on it, but we don't want anyone else to. So going from our newest story, which were the options we just covered, to our oldest story, this, these are two stories that I've been intending to get in for the last two weeks, but we hadn't gotten them in yet because these, these actually took place at the beginning of February. So you know, if you follow news every day, it can get kind of old, but I, you know, I don't think everyone does that. So let's talk about that. One property that, you know, it's, it's one of the DC's big three, uh, Superman and Batman are working film franchises right now, but the third one that, you know, isn't happening right now is Wonder Woman. And uh, it was happening for about two years. Joss Whedon from Buffy and Firefly had been working on a script. He was supposed to direct it as well. Uh, it was being produced by Joel Silver, a big budget action producer. Joss Whedon worked on a script for two years. It was announced in the trades that, that Warner Brothers had paid for or bought, purchased a, a another Wonder Woman script. Uh, this was a Wonder Woman script that was written by two completely different screenwriters and brand new screenwriters uh, named Matthew Jennison and Brent Strickland. So everyone was wondering what the heck's happening there. You know, Joss Whedon's been working on this project for two years. Why is Warner Brothers buying another script? Uh, the the speculation had been that they they bought it just to take it off the market. Uh, that didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Um, it was a completely different type of script. It was setting Wonder Woman in World War II, where Joss Whedon had always been working on a script where it would be a contemporary Wonder Woman. No one knew what was happening with that. It's not like anybody else could make a Wonder Woman movie, anyway. right? Yeah, that's the thing. It's not like someone else is going to be able to use that property. And you know, Warner Brothers definitely you know had full rights to the to the character at that point, so it, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. It still really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it makes slightly more sense when the very next day, Joss Whedon announces on his blog that he's now off the project. Hmm. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of explanation. He really didn't go into a whole lot of detail. People very rarely do in this situation. Um, basically, what he said is, you know, he'd worked on it so many times and just really couldn't end up getting to a place with the producers where they were on the same page. 
Um, I don't know if you actually use the term creative differences, but basically along those lines that they just couldn't agree where they were going. And uh, he never specified names. You know, he said that things went fairly well. He had a good experience, but but that they just weren't getting to the same place. So he was moving on from the project. You know, <laughs> it's it's definitely still a big project at Warner Brothers. Definitely still something they want to make big and quick. Um, so I don't know if that that was part of the impetus behind buying that script or where they're going to go. I know Joel Silver has said that he really doesn't have any interest in doing a World War II Wonder Woman. So where they go from there, who knows? Um, I was going to say that there was no casting. Uh, Joss Whedon obviously constantly got got asked about that uh, the whole time he was working on the script. He was asked about casting. There was this, he never gave any indication. There were rumors a couple of different times. Um, but just to this evening, as I was working on the show notes, this is Wednesday um, for the show at six o'clock. Uh, <laughs> new story came out of. We are rumor at this point. Uh, Kobe Smulders, who's on the show How I Met Your Mother, is is a rumored possibility that, that that she was someone that Joss Whedon liked, that Joel Silver also liked. It really doesn't mean anything at this point. It, at, at the moment, you know, at the moment, we don't even know what the script is, who's working on the script, where they're going from here. There's there's no director announced, so this project is very much up in the air right now. Sure, and as far as casting goes, I'm sure when they eventually get around to that, they will go with with a not very well known actor. I think they're probably looking at both Batman and the current versions of both Batman and Superman, and they're seeing that they don't really need to pay for a, a big name actor to play the character. The character sells itself. Yeah, and that had always been the expressed intention. I mean, Joss Whedon had always said that he didn't want someone to see the character and think of that person. They they wanted he wanted them to look at them and think of Wonder Woman. Right, exactly. And I think that's, yeah, a, that's and, and the she right is. attitude. Well, Col- Colby Smulders really looks like Wonder Woman, too. I watched How I Met Your Mother, and, uh, I mean, she's got the attitude for it, and she definitely got the look for it. So, But, yeah, it just depends on whenever it gets made, if, that, if she's still, you know, a nobody at that point or somebody who they, mm-hmm. they feel comfortable going with. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, similar story to that, um, David Goyer, um, who, you know, pretty much everyone knows from working on the blade films. He wrote all three of them, directed the third one. He, he co-wrote Batman begins, uh, worked on the script for the dark Knight. Um, definitely you know, well-known for working on comics properties. He'd been working for several years on a script for the flash. And uh, part of the rumor on that had, had always been that his interest or the person he wanted to see play the flash uh, would be a Wally West version of the flash was Ryan Reynolds, most famous for Van Wilder. He was also in blade three Almost the same day, I believe, I think it might have been either that same Friday or the following Monday, David Gore announced that he was no longer working on The Flash with almost no details whatsoever. There seems seems to be a pattern forming here with the uh, the DC characters. I wonder what's going on. I wonder if the two events are somehow related. Yeah, it seems to be DC not really having a kind of cohesive strategy on what they want to do with their properties, you know, pr- pretty much other than Batman and Superman. They, they, they have those in place. But they're they're so far behind Marvel in terms of working with other characters and having other characters ready to go. And I think the only reason that Batman and Superman are really going anywhere right now is because they're both being headed up by fairly strong-willed directors who who are dragging them along. I think if it were just up to the studios, that the Batman and Superman series would would still be stalled out too. But they lucked out and they got they got somebody. You know, in in the Batman's case, they got Christopher Nolan, and in Superman's case, they got Brian Singer directors who wanted to make the films and so they were able to pull whatever it is that they pull to get the the films made whereas the studios are best at shuffling their feet and and not making things it seems like they kind of had that i mean you had joss whedon who be in that category of of, you know people i mean he's he doesn't have the same kind of track record in terms of feature films he has not you know himself directed a big ticket feature film yet so so that might have been a factor that he just didn't have the same kind of clout 
<laughs> that's probably likely. I'm sure that the studio, I mean, it, it seems like the, the studios have this thing where they'll, with Joss Whedon in particular, well, they'll, they'll hire him and they'll tell him, okay, do this, do your thing on this, and then they don't like it when he does his thing on something. You know, that's what happened with Firefly. Was Buffy was so successful that Fox hired him. They said, make a TV show. Make whatever you want. We love you. We want you to do whatever <laughs> you want to do. And he did. And, they, and then he brings them a Western in space. Yeah, exactly. And they got cold feet about it, and they, they kept trying to get him to change stuff. And it was like, from then on, it was a constant struggle because he didn't, you know, they, they didn't know what they were expecting, but he definitely didn't give them what they were expecting. And I imagine that the same thing happened with Wonder Woman. They had some idea that it would be something, and, and they just working with him didn't end up working out for them for whatever reason. And maybe that's the case with The Flash, too. I don't know. We can hope for the best for both projects. I, you know, I, know, I know I'd like to see both done, and, but I'd like to see both done well. Right, exactly. It's a pity about The Flash in particular, because I think Ryan Reynolds was a pretty good choice for, for a Wally West version. Yeah, I think particularly if you're going to go with a Wally West, he'd he be a pretty good choice for that. Yeah, for a lighter, you're not, I wouldn't want it to be a comedy, but something a little bit lighter in tone, something with some, some humor to it, something maybe more like the Indiana Jones movies in that it's sort of semi-lighthearted adventure. Basically, Ryan Reynolds plays the same character every time, but that character would be really good for Wally West. I mean, he basically plays the, the kind of serious when he needs to be, but mostly a, a joking guy. Mostly jokey, a lot like how the Flash is portrayed on uh, the Justice League animated series. Exactly. On some DVD releases, um, I'm a little bit excited about these because I, I like to see that everything gets out there. I, I'd like everything superhero-related ever to be on DVD. <laughs> right. right. The 1977 Batman animated series is coming to DVD this summer in June. This is the one with Batmite. Go Batmite. <laughs> Batmite. Yeah. Those of us who grew up in the 70s and watched that show remember Batmite both fondly and with shame. <laughs> yes, mostly with shame in my case. I have to say, although I have to admit, I, I don't, I don't think I saw that show too much. I might be, I might be a hair too young to have seen a lot of that show, which is nice. There's not that many things that I'm too young for anymore. Um, <laughs> but I do remember, I vaguely remember the show, and I do remember Batmite and wondering what the point of it all was. Its other distinction is it actually had Adam West and Burt Ward as the voice of Batman and Robin in it. Okay, yeah, it is the show that I'm thinking of. It was then. It was around that whole, uh, what was it, the Super Friends, right, era Yeah, there? that's what I was just going to say. It's actually one of the rare times that characters are in two different animated series at the same time. Um, I know that actually happened recently with Batman as well, when he was on Justice League and on the Batman at the same time, but it very rarely happens, and in this case, he was on the Batman and Robin animated series in the 70s, and he was on Super Friends at the same time. And how many of those episodes did they make? Of that series? I, oh, I don't know. I'd have to look at that. Probably a lot. Back then, they tended to make large chunks of episodes. They were looking for the ability to run it daily for three months without having to do a rerun. So there's probably, like, they probably did around 50 episodes per season. Yeah, the usual number on that is, is 65. 65 gets them a certain amount of time. When they originally did Batman the Animated Series, the initial run of them were 65 episodes. 65. And they, I think I did the math once. I think it was enough to show it Monday through Friday every week for three months. Right. Yep, it's 13 weeks. Uh, the 1966 Adventures of Superman animated series is coming to DVD at the same time. The first Superman animated series done after the Superman animated films of the 40s. Uh, after the George Reeves stuff, too, the George Reeves live action stuff. Very closely followed the radio version of it um, and used the up, up, and away and stuff like that. Did they use, I know the, uh, the Max Fleischer ones from the 40s used the same voice cast that the the radio series used did the 66 version use them as well it might have been a bit late um i know that uh i believe superman was played by bud, bud collier 
I don't know if that's the same voice. Yeah, Bud Collier played him in all the radio episodes and, and in the Max Fleischer uh, cartoons from the 40s. Although the 40s ones had very little dialogue in them. I don't know why they bothered really distinguishing a, a cast. But, but they did. I'm a huge fan of the radio series. I love the radio series. Mm. It's interesting. that I guess Bud Collier just kept being Superman for the rest of his career. I know that, that the, actually a lot of the stuff that we consider the the regular Superman stuff, the traditional Superman things, all came from the radio show, not from the comics or, or movies. Hmm. The whole Daily Planet cast came from the radio show. Perry White. I think Lois, but I might be wrong about that. Lois might have been in the, the comic first. Yeah, I think Lois was in the comic first because Lois Lane was introduced, but it was a different newspaper. It was the... It was the Daily Star. The Daily Star with George Taylor as the editor, not Perry White. The radio show was great, too, because it, it really um, it, it told a different type of story. The stories tended to be more sort of mystery stories than, or investigative stories than, than action stories because the action on when you don't have any visuals is, not, is hard to do. And so the stories were mainly about Clark Kent solving mysteries, and then he would turn into Superman and, and catch the bad guys at the end. Yeah, they were really neat. I really liked them. It was interesting that they, uh, they, made, they made a character that's a... a colorful action a very visual character they made him work on on a on radio with a medium with no uh no visual aspect to it and then they did end up using the the voice cast for uh, for a lot of the animated stuff too to continue on with another story this is a little bit exciting uh zach snyder the director of 300 did an interview this week on the tv channel reels talked quite a bit about Watchmen and what he intends to do about that i took a bunch of notes on it it was very exciting i actually it was the first time i'd really heard him speak and hearing him talk about Watchmen kind of got me excited about it. He was asked how long the film would be, and there are still some decisions to be made on that. And he said that with the script, they've got at least two versions, and one would be with the Tales of the Black Freighter stuff in, and one would be without. Um, with the Tales of the Black Freighter, it would be a three-hour film, the way it's written right now, and without it would be two and a half hours. And Tales of Black Freighter, that was the, the comic within the comic there, right? With yeah. the pirates and the shipwreck and... That thematically had had a lot to do with what was going on in the greater story, right? And it was written by one of the the scientists there as well. So mm-hmm. in the comic, yeah, it was written by one of the characters in the comic. Well, that's yeah, kind of that sounds like sounds like DVD extra material to me. <laughs> yeah, because I'd, I'd be hard pressed to see that make it in the final film. And, and I find it interesting that he's saying that even with that, it's three hours, but without it, it's two and a half. That still all seems way short to me for that story. Well, I'm sure he's he's trimming a lot of stuff. I mean, I oh just yeah, that's with a lot cut out. Don't see how uh, how you could not. And I just, I mean, and I don't necessarily object to that either because I do think that the the way that the book is structured would never work as a feature film. They're going to have to make sure. make changes to the basic structure of it to make it work at all. The rules for making a film are very different than the rules for structuring a twelve issue comic book series. And I don't necessarily have a problem with him him making changes if as long as the the core of what the story is about remains intact, and as long as he captures the look of the comic, because that was one of the things that always really attracted me to the comic was the artwork and just the way it all looked. Now, I've always said with adaptations that I'm always okay if you change stuff as long as it's better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It's okay. I, I, I'm not opposed to changing things just for the sake of changing things. I'm opposed to changing things and then it's not better. There should be a reason for the change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so far Snyder really seems to know what he's talking about. You know, he seems to know what he's doing as far as as what he thinks will work in the film and what what he knows won't work in the film. I'm I'm kind of surprised that he's even considering the Black Freighter stuff because I'm I'm really I'm not sure how you could work that. Yeah, I would have just assumed that that was the first thing that got cut. Yeah, and... I don't know how you would work that into a film, but but you know I'm not a movie maker, so 
So I don't know. Right. It'll, it'll be curious. Um, he also said that it will be set in 1985, just like the book. It will be a Cold War story. It will not be brought into modern times or completely reworked to make it make sense now or have it be an allegory to the Gulf War or anything like that. So it won't be V for Vendetta. Right. Yeah, it won't be V for Vendetta. I like the fact that he actually said that he regarded it as a piece of literature. You don't sit down, read Moby Dick, and then say, okay, I need to update that for a new generation. Right. You only, you only do that with Shakespeare. Right. Yeah. It's a classic piece of literature. You treat it that way. You, you take it in the context it's written. And that makes the most sense because, I mean, a lot of what happens is, you know, set in this kind of Cold War scare, you know, USSR is invading Afghanistan, and it, it just really works well in the time period it sets in. It's set in. So, yeah, they should keep it that way. I know the the perfect actor to play. Uh, you know, having the, the Watchman Nixon is still president. Uh, Gregory Itzen needs to play uh, President Nixon. He looks just like the way that Dave Gibbons draws him in the comic. It's it's. Uncanny. Oh, he's the guy who uh, played the president in twenty four, right? Yeah, he played. The, he was the president in twenty four last season. He's the former president. <laughs> Actually, he just got he just got stabbed in the last episode or two episodes ago. But yeah, he was. Uh, and yet, I don't Charles cry a tear. <laughs> um, yeah, I think yeah he, he's, he's very Nixon-ish, isn't he? He he looks exactly he does, he doesn't look like Nixon so much as he looks like the way the artist of the Watchmen draws Nixon, oh, right. which is even better. <laughs> <laughs> so there there's my there's my vote for casting a, a totally minor and mostly inconsequential part. I don't think Nixon even has any any speaking lines in the in the comic. They just show him moving around a little bit. Um, I really liked that he was very strong about the fact that it would be R-rated, that he would find some way to make it PG-13. He said something along the lines that, I don't know how you could do Rorschach finding the child molester, feeding the bones of the girl to the dog as PG. You know, how, do, how do I do that in a PG-13 film? And, and most filmmakers would have said, well, it's not a problem because I'm going to be cutting that anyway. Mm-hmm. He's not taking that stance on it. Sure. And luckily for him, since... Uh... 300 did so well, did such a great opening for an R-rated movie, he'll probably be able to take that stand and, and the studio will back off and let him do it. Yeah, like we said last week, third best R-rated film opening ever. It's really, it's it's perfect because, you know, yeah, 300 came out, third best R-rated film release. And so what does the studio always want at this stage? They want a bigger one. They want a bigger 300. And so he's going to be able to, to sell Watchmen as that. He's going to be able to sell it as the bigger, more involved R-rated comic book movie, which is great. You know, he'll be able to trick the studio into letting him do it the way he wants to do it. Right. You just got to work on the mass appeal of it. It's not got to, you know, sell it as not just a comic book movie, you know. Got to be able to reach, you know, the average Joe who will go see 300 because it's like great war movie, you know. Well, I think Heroes is, Heroes gets you a long way to that, yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. There's there's lots of, you know, everyday hero, average average hero, you know, exposing the hero for, you know, who he, re- he or she really is. So, yeah, it's it's a good time. It's a good time mm-hmm. in cinema to make the, the Watchmen. It's also a good time for a podcast about it. Exactly. I'll be, I'll be watching this one with, with interest. I'm, uh, I'm, I think, I think, Jonathan, I think you're right. I think now is a great time to try to make this movie, too. He, he, of course, was asked about casting, and what he basically said is that he is talking to a lot of people. Casting is definitely happening right now. He just can't talk about it because none of the contracts are signed. They're not ready to make any announcements. Um, that's good to hear that he's actually talking to people, which means it's it's a little bit farther along than we even thought it was last week when we were discussing it. Um, there had been you know rumors, but always just the usual kind of 
know, people suggesting who they think, you know, just like you just did, who, who you think would be good for Nixon. That's really about all it had been up till now. But now that we know that he's actually having meetings with people and he's discussing cast casting, not only that, he, he the one thing that he was able to say, because it's already not happened, was he was discussing very strongly playing one of the parts with Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise was very interested in it. And there was one of the parts that he really wanted to play. They just couldn't get the scheduling or the other other factors figured out. So that definitely didn't happen. So he was able to say that Tom Cruise is not going to be in it. Yeah, I'm sure that the party wanted to play was Ozymandias. That's uh, my thought. I guess I imagine that he'll uh, he'll try to find a part for uh, for at least one or two of his stars from Three Hundred. Right. He he did say that he definitely has a part in mind for Gerard Butler. Uh, I'm thinking the comedian. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. Okay. <laughs> Keep listening, and we'll be right back with our newest section, the Rumor Treadmill. Every single week, there, there's lots of stuff that is just internet stuff. Things that doesn't represent an announcement. It doesn't represent any serious indication of interest. It's it's not coming from the star's agent. Although it could be coming from the star's agent, kind of putting sure. that out there on the internet to, to generate buzz. These are things where things get announced and then immediately get dismissed. I mean, because the internet has caused everything to be so much closer and so much tighter together. It's it's a lot easier for someone to put something on a blog and all of a sudden it's on 50 different blogs and all of a sudden Variety's reporting it. And because Variety's reporting it, people think it's a story when it's not really a story. It's just one person suggested it. In the past, this would have been done and it just would have been completely ignored. Oh my God. What have we done? We've just started it. We've started it with Gregory Itzen as Nixon. Right. Yep. Yep. You just created one right there. It'll be in Variety <laughs> next week. You heard it here first. Superhero Cinema Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to go through some of those, you know, we're, and, and I want to clarify, I want to be sure that we're saying, you know, I'm putting it under this category. These are things that got mentioned and then got dismissed almost in the same breath. I mean, the story came out and almost the very next day, it, it basically was dismissed. Uh, but I just wanted to, you know, go over a couple of those just, just so people know what kind of things people are talking about. Um, you just mentioned the comedian. Um, there was there was an internet rumor about that for Ron Perlman, which, which I think could be very interesting. Yeah, but it's why is it always, you know, the, the guys who come up with these internet rumors, it, it, it seems like their, their field of vision as far as available actors is so narrow. It's always somebody who played another comic character already. You know, why is it always that? Why is it always from this narrow pool of, of actors who are already entrenched in, in genre movies? Because it's the same people who read the same 10 comic books every month. Yes, that's true. That's that's exactly what it is. You're right. They uh, only see certain movies. They only read certain books. So they're only aware of certain actors. Yeah. Right. I think that's probably it. So another one was uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. It's funny because we've, we've been talking about, you know, the, the very strong, seriously, pretty close substantiated rumors that Maggie Gyllenhaal is in talks for The Dark Knight Returns. Um, there there were some unsubstantiated rumors about her brother, Jake Gyllenhaal, um, basically about him being talked to for Shazam. Um, and we just talked about that last week, that they just brought on a new screenwriter and they're really back at a very early beginning on that. In fact, it is the screenwriter, John August, who right up front in his blog when asked about that rumor this week said, no, we, we, <laughs> we haven't talked to him. I imagine Jake Gyllenhaal probably doesn't even know who Shazam is. It's it's purely internet rumor. The, the story actually was that uh, New Line wanted to get him in there because they wanted to lock up that project and have it be their big property that they could be having up against, you know, Warner Brothers' big guns for Superman and Batman. And, uh, they, and, and, and also that they talked to him because they didn't want him to get locked up for a possible Spider-Man 4, which is internet rumor rep- responding to other internet rumor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best 
form of discussion right there, I'm sure. Yeah, it's also one of the ways that you can usually tell that a story like that is just internet rumor when it when its line of thinking is in response to other internet rumor because studios very rarely make their decisions based on that. Um, another one that came up this week is casting rumors for Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Returns. Um, James Gandolfini from The Sopranos and Fergie uh, from The Black Eyed Peas. That in and of itself was a rumor, and then people took those rumors and ran with those rumors and said, okay, who might they be playing? Let's see if you were to put them in the film. They might be uh, Detective Bullock and Rene Montoya. So, of course, this has already been dismissed. Uh, or not, yeah. Yeah, actually, the, the, the truth is that Jonathan and I are playing uh, Bullock and Montoya in the movie. We weren't going to say anything, but... But, uh, yeah, I have to confess, yes, I, yeah, I've been optioned. It's more likely than these two, I think, in this case. <laughs> One that's not really any more substantiated, but but does kind of make sense. This is one that I can see as someone that they're actually talking to. Uh, Alan Dale, who has been on 24, Lost, Ugly Betty, uh, was one of the characters long running on the uh, series Neighbors. Basically, he's any recent show you could think of, he seems to have been on. I, I was looking him up on IMDb, and I was shocked. He's, he seemed to have been in every show, including the OC, for, I believe, seven or eight episodes. The rumor is that he's being talked to for the character of Boss Maroney. And, and uh, for those who know, you know, that we talked about recently about Aaron Eckhart getting cast as uh, Harvey Dent, the inclusion of, of the character of Boss Maroney is very interesting. We won't discuss any further, as it would be spoilerish. Although I will say that... Uh... Alan Dale does look the part, the way Maroney's drawn in at least the comics that I've read that Maroney read. He does definitely look the part. Yeah, that one I see as, as completely could make sense to me. I, I see that as someone that they could be talking to for that part, if you know if that part's even in the script. And this one I find the most interesting, because this was a story that kept coming out every single day for about the last week, I believe. You know, It's actually been about eight days since we did the last podcast. And in those eight days, every single day, there was a different take on this story. This is about when the next sequel, when the sequel to Superman Returns basically will get made. Depending on what story you read on any given day, you either read that the shooting of the film was going to get delayed because Brian Singer is going to do his next film. It's a World War II film. I didn't really catch much other details about it, but that because of that, they would be pushing back the schedule and Superman Returns would be even later than expected. Or you read the story that the story from following up on the story from a couple weeks ago that Warner Brothers wants to make a Justice League film, that they've decided that they want to go ahead and use Superman in the Justice League film. So they're going to bump a sequel to Superman Returns as a solo film and put him in Justice League and do the Justice League film next and then still do a sequel to it later on. Or... The most recent, if you read, I believe yesterday, is that none of that is true, and his schedule's not really affected. Brian Singer will be able to make his next film and still go down to Superman Returns on time, and that they will start filming March of 2008 next year. So, okay. am I supposed to believe any of these? Whew. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of dizzy. <laughs> you mean the truth or the rumor or both? I'm not sure. Maybe, yeah, let's go with both. Maybe they're all true. I think a Justice League Heroes movie would be kind of cool, but weren't we just talking last week about how, you know, they didn't even have Superman or Batman in the original Justice League because they would just overshadow every other character? Once you have Superman or Batman in it, why do you need to do anyone else in the film? Which, in in movie studio thought, means hedging your bets. Right, that's true. Yeah, you know, so you've got that. people who recognize somebody in the movie. They're like, oh, Superman, okay, I'll go see that. And wherever these other people are, all right, you know, I'll give them a chance. Right. Not nearly as many people know who uh, Green Arrow or Aquaman are. So I'm kind of curious, you know, for those of other, for the for our listeners out there, um, let me know. Send us an email. Do Do you want us to cover stuff like this? Do you want us to be covering casting rumors, or do you only want us to cover things that are actually 
out there, you know, people that have actually been talked to, things that have been substantiated, stories that have actually been shown to be true. Let me know. You know, we'll see where we go from there on that. We're here for you. Tell us, tell us what you want to hear about. That's it for our news this week, but keep checking it out at SuperheroCinema.com every day. Now let's move on to a few discussion topics. Okay, for our first discussion uh, this week, they put out a whole bunch of new pictures from Transformers uh, coming out this summer. Uh, what I found interesting, though, was all the pictures were of humans. And this is kind of my rant for the week. Everything I've seen so far about this film, all the way going back to the casting notices, seem to focus on the humans. Now, there could be a thought behind that. I know that, A, they didn't have the robots, obviously. They, they you know had production drawings but they didn't actually have the cgi so they didn't have anything to show and then now they're kind of at the point where they're saying they they don't want to show it they want to keep it a surprise but (laughs) what it leaves me with is is a very big nagging concern for this film which is that it's going to be this big budget action film where the entire story is built around the humans and the robots are there for the humans to react to that's my problem with it. Uh, to me, Transformers should be about the robots. Tragically, but that does sound likely. I, I imagine that that is going to be the case, is that it is going to focus on the human characters. I mean, I didn't watch Transformers all that much when I was a kid, but I don't remember there even being any human characters in it. It was basically just the one kid that was there with the Transformers, and, and he was their human representative. But unfortunately, since they're doing it as a, you know, as a photorealistic film with real actors, that it's yeah the chances of it being about the robots are pretty much nil the only way that was ever going to happen is if they did it entirely animated yeah i'm going to the movie to see the transformers myself who are all these human characters why are there all these human characters why are they even having to have this many named actors in the film yeah it sounds to me like they've just kind of lost sight of what what it's supposed to be about and that maybe they've just kind of developed it to the point where they don't don't really know what what story they're making anymore i'm just concerned that it's basically going to be your garden variety monster film with the transformers as the monsters and then basically tearing up the place and then the humans having to deal with it sure yeah and i think you're probably right yeah i kind of get that impression from the trailer i mean there was some serious transformer destruction but not any sort of elaboration on them as characters they have personalities you know mm-hmm. now obviously i could be way off base on this it could be that they're just not showing in the robots because they don't want to tip their hand on that they want to save that for the film and that there'll be 20 minutes of interaction between the robots I- i'd love it i'm hoping <laughs> for it i'm not hopeful for it don't get your hopes up too much because i think you're right it just sounds like exactly what they would do a movie that's put together based on marketing directives that's how it, they would approach it, I think, is to, oh, we have to have human characters because we have to have people for the audience to relate to. Where you should be thinking that if you do them well, they should be relating to the robots. What's the, Michael, what's the next, uh, what's our next superhero movie actually do in theaters? Uh, TMNT, this Friday. Okay. Yeah, I've been seeing the answer. My wife keeps asking me if we're going to have to go see it or not. I think I want to, actually. It looks kind of fun. Um, also, as promised, um, I know you'd been talking about the Hellboy animated. It's come up a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, and I finally went and watched uh, Sword of Storms uh, this weekend, and I, I did really enjoy it. I did think it nailed it. I thought it, it really did well, something that we were talking about that is you know animation that is trying to not do it as a kid's film uh this did nail it i mean this really felt like okay you know to be a non-kids film it doesn't have to be adult it just has to be smart it it just has to tell a story tell it well not dumb it down and not Mm -hmm. overly smarten it up you know not overly complicated as well right treat the audience with a little bit of respect exactly it was just an enjoyable film with with a smart plot smart characters smart dialogue 
I enjoyed it. I you know I loved having the original voice actors in there. I thought that was great. It may it made me keep saying oh crap for about a day afterwards, <laughs> just because he said it so many times in the film. Yeah, they even have um I, I I've recorded it, but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But for the second one, they have the the character that uh, John right. Hurt played right. the, in the film, Doctor Broom, and uh, John Hurt's done the voice for right. him. And actually, I found that interesting. I guess they they are going with a new continuity because didn't he die in the film? Yes, yes, he did. And yes, I had actually. Well, I think I mentioned last week. I, I met uh, Tad Stones at a, a film festival here in Portland uh, a couple months ago, and he even said that he said that they uh, he and Mike Mignola agreed to to do the films in their own continuity. They weren't going to try to be consistent with the film or with the comics they were going to present the, the character and the concepts in their own way i kind of like that which i think is fine yeah you too i think it's nice that they they're not locked down by by continuity from some other series right so many times when they've done an animated series like immediately after a feature film it's it's so tied to the movie continuity and it makes it a little bit harder for them to tell their own stories yeah exactly because you know, I loved having John Hurt there. I thought the character was great. I thought his voice is great. I, I always like to you know, see you or, in this case, hear him in anything. thought it was interesting because not being a fan of Hellboy from the comics or anything, I just thought it was great seeing him in a completely different context than, than I was familiar with. It wasn't him fighting you know generic demons or anything like that. It was him specifically going against vampires, and I thought that that was an interesting twist. It was good to see him in that kind of background. I look forward to the next one. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find time to watch that tonight. I just, just now remembered, actually, that I recorded it on, uh, I think it was on Saturday. Totally forgot about it. Right. I've given up on stuff on Cartoon Network a number of times. I gave up on Justice League for long periods of time and just said, I'll wait till the DVDs and catch up with them then. I did the same thing. To this day, I still haven't seen the final season of Justice League Unlimited because when it was broadcast, which uh, came out on DVD yesterday. Yes, I know. It's all finally a I did see the first two episodes, I think, but uh, now I'll get to see the rest. That's funny. I actually caught most of that and caught everything but the first three, so I'm catching up on those now on DVD. Mm-hmm. Okay, so between the two of us, we may have, we've probably seen them. <laughs> yeah, we, if we had just talked about it more, we, we could have covered the entire season. Well, I know we have a whole lot more to talk about, but that's going to have to wrap it up for this week. If you haven't already, click on the subscribe link on our website to subscribe to the podcast or find us on iTunes by searching for Superhero Cinema. If you have any news stories, suggestions for what you want us to talk about, or any comments on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at superherocinema.com. You can even leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our Skype name is Superhero Cinema. Thank you, Jefferson and Jonathan. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, Michael. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you keep showing up for Superhero Cinema. We're saving the world one fan at a time. Superhero Cinema.